presented by Tortured Poets. Very good. Hello <laughs> and welcome to Flowcast, a Forest the Machine fan podcast. My name is Everett and I am joined by not only my normal two co-hosts. Hi, this is Ariel. Great to be here. And Emily. But we also have a fourth person joining us today. Hi, I'm, I'm Heather. It's fun to be here. Uh, we're so happy to have Heather. Uh, this is different for us because even though we've had guests on the podcast before, they've always been pre-recorded, whereas Heather is here live with us. So we can all chat at once, and which is especially nice because literally mere minutes before we started recording, we got some significant breaking news. Yes, there was a rumor yesterday, but it has now been confirmed. Florence and the Machine will be a featured artist on... Taylor's new album, The Tortured Poets Department, which is out on April 19th, and she is not the only featured artist. It's all the probably the most unlikely other featured artist is the other one, and that is Post Malone. I saw Post Malone and then Florence at Oshiaga in 2018, so I guess that was a precursor to this in some capacity. Yeah, no, it's it's massive news on a song titled Florida with three exclamation marks, which is also very odd. Cover. That is a state I am not currently welcome in as a transgender person. <laughs> yeah, no. And I mean, I think like the album, other than the Post Malone feature, people thought that it was going to be something very introspective and more like folklore evermore And you can kind of see that from the cover art. And I think a lot of the titles are making it pretty clear that it is a very much a breakup album. So it'll be interesting to hear what it sounds like. I'm excited about it. I think... People shouldn't be so scared that Taylor's fandom is going to take over our fandom or anything. Like, I think she might become slightly more popular and that might, that will probably just mean that she'll be able to not worry as much about touring around the world, have reach more people, reach more ears, comfortably continue her career. Like, I feel like these are all good things and people should think about it that way if they're not excited about the actual musical content. Yeah, to put it into perspective, my second favorite band is The National, who have done a significant amount of work with Taylor Swift over the last few years. And their popularity and fan base needle has only slightly moved since then. And any growth uh, for them has been positive at the shows that I've seen from them in the years, in the last few years. So uh, I, I do not see this being anything uh, less than a positive bump. As Ariel knows, I am hilariously ignorant about Taylor Swift. I listened to all of her albums for the first time this last summer. I, I did think it was interesting that I believe the feature said featuring Florence and the Machine as opposed to Hey Girl, uh, which was just featuring Florence Welch. So I don't know if others in the band are going to be involved or if it's just a formality so people know who that is. I, I was wondering the same thing. I'm wondering if it's just going to be like, yeah, a streaming age formality or if it is, as you said, like truly akin to the Florence and the Machine sound in some way or like involving other band members. Heather, you're welcome to, to you chime in. I mean, I don't know that I have anything new to say. Um, I was just super excited to see that um, and I thought it was completely made up. So I was just shocked that it wasn't. And I'm just dying to know what the song is and what Florida has to do with Florence Welch and how she was selected for that particular song. So yeah, just excited to see what happens. 
Emily, anything to add? I don't think so. My first thought was like when they changed it, when they chose to do Florence in the Machine, like the gang's all here. Maybe, maybe it really will be, I don't know, more forceful sound. Because I mean, most of her other features are usually just her singing, not providing any other music sonically. So I don't know. Could be significant. Also, Florida, that's that's just very interesting. You know what? Oh my gosh, June. There's a whole connection here. Mm. My mind. <laughs> Ariel. <laughs> Ariel just realized. How many seconds was that? <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. That will be included. I really hope it is. <laughs> no, but um. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I was just messaging a friend of mine uh, who she really likes Post Malone. And so I was like, yo. <laughs> All right. So that was that was kind of an unplanned portion of the podcast today. Uh, but those were our immediate rapid fire thoughts. I'm sure we'll have more as we get more information. But we also do have a new song involving Florence that we have heard that we get to discuss, and that is the newly released cover of White Cliffs of Dover for, I forget the name of the show. The New Look? The New Look on Apple TV? Yes. Yes, uh, I TV still do Plus. not have Apple TV. Stop asking me where I am in Ted Lasso. <laughs> I also don't have Apple TV Plus, although I have been kind of considering getting it at some point because I want, there's sort of a backlog of shows that I want to watch on it. I've just been cheap. The show's about a bunch of different fashion houses during World War II or like around World War II. Um, I think it centers on Christian Dior, Cristobal Balenciaga, and Coco Chanel and their interactions because the new look relates to form popularized by Dior, I believe. And so I don't know. I'm interested enough in fashion that I was that I, I think I'd be interested in this show anyways, but obviously I'm a little bit more interested in it to see when how her song appears in it. This was a now this was teased many months ago um as a cover from an album produced by Jack Antonoff. White Cliffs of Dover is the song that she did for this show. And it's the first of many songs from the soundtrack that was released, and the soundtrack is all produced by Jack Antonoff and it's kind of a Many of the people on it are people really that I've worked with Jack in the past. And White Clips of Dover was the first song released from that soundtrack. It's it's a pretty straight up cover of the Vera Lynn song, which apparently is played a lot when talking about World War II in the UK. It's a song that I think I knew it was going to be a cover. So when the title was released, I looked up what the original was. But I had it. I don't think I had heard this song before. Or if I had, I hadn't like really heard it. Um, had you, had had any of you heard it? Was it something that you were familiar with? I feel like I may have heard it in some old movie. Yeah, like it sort of sounded like there were parts of it that sounded a little bit familiar, but I don't know. I enjoyed her cover. Her voice sounds really lovely on it. It's great to hear her voice in like these other contexts with so much orchestration behind it. But I was kind of hoping for it to not to be like such a straight up cover, but it's lovely to hear it just the same. And it's cool that it was the first song released also. I... I wonder if that means it's going to be in the first episode of the show or if it's going to be like, like why they chose to release it before the show starts is kind of my question. 
Uh, yeah, White Cliffs of Dover uh, was originally written as a wartime song, so that makes sense that it would be a, a World War II themed series, uh, and that it, it's probably why it was released ahead of time, just to fam get people familiar with the setting and to advertise the series. I, I feel like it's it's what I expected. I think it's really nice to have. Uh, generally, in these hiatuses between albums, we have gotten these little one-off tracks for soundtracks a lot of times they are covers uh and like i would compare this to something like the stand by me cover where it's you know it's it's perfectly pleasant it's a, probably my new ideal way to listen to the song uh but it's not anything that really changes the game it's just something nice to have especially while we are in the midst of a long wait for more music brief comment you guys know that you guys know that one meme of, um, I think she's some British lady in a car and she's like, I'm on my way to do such and such. That's like Florence with covers. She's like, I'm on my way to make it better. <laughs> you have a song, I'm going to make it better. <laughs> Is that that nanny? I think so. I, I don't know what. Nanny. Yeah, I think it might be, but that's immediately what my head went to. That's literally her. It's <laughs> true. And I think as, as Everett said, I think this will be my... If I so desire to listen to the song, I will listen to the cover because I do prefer the cover, but that's because I had only heard the original like twice and I like Florence's voice. So, I mean, like you guys were saying, it's it's nice. Her voice sounds very pretty. I don't know that I'm going to be returning to it over and over and over again, but it was nice to have. The main reason uh, we do have Heather on the podcast today. Uh, it's been delightful to have her for the other discussions as well, um, is to discuss a research presentation she did recently on Dance Fever. I came across Heather's work, or I came across Heather on Twitter because she was, I don't, you Heather, you probably remember this better than me. I just remember you were talking about wanting to, you that you had already written something perhaps about dance fever and horror and feminine and feminism and I just got like so extremely excited because <laughs> as a as a PhD student um and as a Florence fan and as someone who's like generally really interested in the kind of collusion between those two things I got really excited and I think I like excitedly DM'd you or something I yeah I think we first started talking because I was really new to doing any kind of like pop culture research. Like I'm very much literary studies. And my first thought was I want to like interview people in the fandom about how their understanding of dance fever or going to the shows um, is informed by like the horror aesthetic of it. And then I wanted to try and tie that um, to um, like one's ability to feel emotions that aren't like considered like culturally proper. Um, and so I thought like, oh, I'll interview people and get information that way. Um, and then I found out I couldn't do that without ISBE approval. So I had, I think, talked to like 60 people. And then I was like, wait, I can't use any of that. But that is how I met a bunch of you guys just through doing that survey. Um, had you done research projects like of that sort before? Like what kind of so, what did you what did you do before that made you feel like yeah I could do this and yeah I want to do this? So mostly I do um like feminist poetics and thinking through like avant-garde forms that people use for like feminist uh, reasons or queer ends and I think like just hubris made me feel like I could do it like I did. I mean no that sounds amazing. Can you talk more about avant-garde poetics? 
Yeah. So thinking through just like different poetic forms people could use that allow them to express things in like different ways or see things in different ways um, based on how things are formally done. So it's not super related, um, but yeah, I mean, that sounds super poetic. What was the project you started next? So what I wound up doing, because I couldn't actually use any of the original stuff I gathered, although I'm trying to go through the whole IRB process now, um, but most of what I wound up actually looking at was like archival. So a lot of interviews with Florence um, and then reading through her entire list of recommendations, watching all of her films and tying together um, what I thought she was doing with monstrosity that way. And so like ultimately what I wound up doing was tracing the films and the texts and trying to like create a path through them to the songs to see how she uses images um, of feminine monstrosity to talk about them in sort of like a liberatory way, right? So like how can a witch, how can a vampire, mm-hmm. how can a siren be something that can liberate people and how they experience emotion and put themselves into the world in a way that they might not feel empowered without that kind of imagery and aesthetic. So I've read most of the books and watched most of the movies, but what were like the most useful books or and or movies in doing those? So I think some of like the images that stood out most to me, and I think we've talked about this one a lot, was Stop mm-hmm. Your Women's Ears with Wax. Um, yeah, just, I love like, that one so much. Yeah, like the super like feral, monstrous images of like the girls who are following the band on tour mm-hmm. um, and how like their hands are always sticky and like they're pulling at their bodies and just those like really monstrous, gross images. And I was really fascinated by how Florence specifically called out that story and sort of made it clear that that was sort of uh, the image that she had of her fan base in a way. Um, So I thought that was cool. Um, Like I saw Suspiria, especially in like music videos, like Heaven is Here, you see that so the choreography, you see that in the choreography in that one. And I feel like I really enjoyed that movie and how like witchy and feral the dancing felt and how but I'm glad that I watched it before I went into this era. And I'm really, I really need to watch The Red Shoes, I feel like, because it feels like that was a major touch point for her. Um, and I watched Dracula like during the era also, and you could yeah. definitely see that in some of the aesthetics. And it was, for me, I don't know if you had the same experience. Like I remember during the pandemic was when I really started diving headfirst into horror more so than I had before. And I really think what started that was Salt Slow. I think what I want to ask you about is like, I feel like there is this really interesting intersection between horror and feminism. I think it's something that I find hard to articulate Like when people are like, what's your favorite yeah. genre? I'm like, horror feminism? Like, yeah, I guess like, what do you think it is about horror that makes it this conduit for these really feminist texts? Yeah. And so one thing that I kept finding um, again and again was this idea that like horror, like gives you permission to tap into these feelings that like you can't really have on a day-to-day basis right like you can't walk around being like I'm gonna snap this guy's neck right like Florence does in the King music video (laughs) or like even in a lot of the um the texts that she was pulling from so and I saw this really funny meme um on Twitter which is like a lot of these movies are like good for her movies so like at the end of Midsommar right like when we see um, like the protagonist's face and like her smile, right? Like that is completely unacceptable, but you can have this moment of like 
rage with her, right? And sort of satisfaction. Um, and in the witch, right? Like we can't really like fully identify with these characters um, in the daily world, but we can in the movies. And so like one thing that I saw is like a thread running through them and what a lot of like critics of feminist horror were talking about um, is how it just give, like they act as this like a vessel um, like for like fear and rage and anxiety. And I thought that was really powerful. When did you start getting into horror? Like, was it something that you were really interested in before Dance Fever? Is it something you've always been interested in? Um, I think, I've, I mean, I've always, like, I've had, like, a lifelong obsession with, like, witches and vampires and, like, the Oh, different... yeah, I mean, witches, definitely. I just mean, like, yeah. Yeah. Um... record. <laughs> did, like, witches before 2020. But, no, a lot of my interest, like, came from Dance Fever and, like, just being so interested in its aesthetic and starting to trace it through that. Did you watch the movie Men? It's with, it's an A24 movie, and it's basically this woman is in this, like, small town and in this town, every man has the same face. And it's like, they're all like horrible archetypes. I always think about that when I think about like feminist horror. And I think also like Carmen Maria Mikado, like her body and other parties. There's a story about the uh, green ribbon and like men asking too much of women. And again, like all these different like feminist themes, but in this horror lens that I find really interesting. And I think, can you tell us a bit more about your... uh what the thesis statement was for your project or for yeah. I guess you, you had a couple projects I had a couple projects but ultimately it sort of so I think my thesis statement was uh how monstrosity can like create this permission giving space for women to experience emotions that aren't culturally sanctioned and then just like exploring that in various ways another big theme of the album is this idea of like a woman in her mid-30s she talks a lot about Mrs. Havisham that's sort of how she feels like people see women past the age of 35 without kids and how that relates to horror yeah and like how she kind of like reclaims that right because yeah. not only like part of what's interesting is not only how women can like embrace monstrosity as like a form of liberation but like how women are turned into monsters if they don't do what they're supposed to do um and sort of yeah how she reclaims that through the figure of miss havisham mm -hmm. and and like a bunch of with the first i would argue but yes absolutely i guess like what was it like for you to go to because i think you went to did you well, you went to a, the show in chicago right i went to chicago and i went to malaga <laughs> I mean, I went to the show in Chicago just being like, and the weird. So did the, Emily. Oh, nice. So I was the, up front. <laughs> nice. I was all the way in the back and there were spiders in my seat. So I wasn't even in my seat. I was literally like, it was very thematic. I mean, very That's dance so dance fever, fever coded. <laughs> it was yeah, very it dance really fever is. coded. This is just my own weird backstory. But like pre-dance fever, it had been very hard for me to listen to music and very hard for me to like read new books or anything. Like, I feel like I went like two years without any of that, which is really unlike me. And so when Dance Fever came out, I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like it's an album, but I love Florence. So I'm going to go see her, even if I'm just not super immersed in it or whatever. So I went to the show. Um, that's where I got COVID, I think. And I loved it so much that I literally came home, got my positive COVID test, was off seven days from school. And that's when I launched myself into all of this. I was like, now I'm just going to read everything because I'm stuck at home. So yeah, my experience in Chicago was kind of distant, but Malaga was like insane. It was the best thing ever, like having 
totally been in the album for a while and getting to like meet a bunch of people that I'd been talking to and see everyone's costumes and get dressed with everybody and just be there was yeah it was incredible I still get teary about it Aww. like personally like I just desperately wanted to see another show on the tour and I just kept trying to find a way trying to find a way so like making it was just like really emotional to me but also just everything that had led up to it, like Florence getting sick, not knowing if it was going to happen, like worrying about what was going to, what was going on with her. And then just like being there and her being like, okay, and being able to perform and being there with like everybody else who was like having the same feelings and was also just so sad to say goodbye to this era was just really beautiful. Just getting to share it with everyone and cry with everyone. And yeah, yeah. no, that is what's really magical about a lot of these shows is getting to really be with everybody else and like experience it with everybody that you know and they, they yeah. understand in the same way that you do I guess like from the interviews that you did if you can remember what were so was there anything that you were really interested that I don't know caught your attention and that surprised you from like your cursory looks at those I don't know that if it's that it surprised me because I was kind of expecting it but I just thought it was beautiful how many people were saying that like dressing up in this way was like such like a like a freeing thing for them um and how it let them like experience the show in a way that maybe it wouldn't have otherwise that it sort of like elevated it for them and the amount of people that said it like gave them confidence I thought was really lovely too oh that is really lovely well out of all the um books and movies that you watched what was your favorite my favorite movie is Suspiria. Um, I love <laughs> it. And like, I can't, like, I can't separate it from Heaven is Here. Like, I just, yeah. those two things together, I adore. And then, yeah, Julia Armfield, Stop Your Women's Ears with Wax. Like, those two for sure. Did you read um, Julia's other, wow, Our Wives Under the Sea? Yes. And yeah. I have made everyone I know read it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. very much. <laughs> I've been buying Salt Slow for everybody. I don't know if that many people have read it, but I really would like them to. Everett, can you think of any questions? I mean, not really, unless you want to talk more about, like, the presentation you gave and how that was received. It was just, you know, at a at a conference, so it's pretty, like, toast. Like, you just get up there and do your presentation. Um, it was received well. Afterwards, people just really wanted to talk about like feminist music and give me recommendations. And people seemed like pretty excited about Dance Fever who hadn't heard of it. Um, oh, that's awesome. So that was cool. This is a whole other tangent, but part of what I was looking at was definitions of monstrosity. Um, and some of the definitions that I was looking at were like having too big of an appetite and showing like no restraint, right? Which is like another definition of like monster. And I thought it was really interesting how one Florence has been accused of that, like her entire career, like having no restraint at all in her music and how that can sort of map on to ideas of women and monstrosity. And then just how she ends the album with that, I think is hilarious. I do really love that that's how she ended all the tour shows. Also, like as somebody that has read way too many reviews of Florence's work, there was, I think, most of the Highest Hope reviews that I remember reading they were like, oh, well, she said in this one interview, if you take only the first half of her statement, that it was going to be a quieter album. The full statement was it was going to be a quieter album and then it didn't really turn out to be. But they all ignored that part and they were all like, she's so loud. She just can't help but do like quiet, loud, quiet. Like so much of it was about this like idea of one being too loud. And it was so yeah. 
frustrating to me to read that and it was nice this era because I found that it was one of the first times that I feel like her lyrics were being taken seriously and like actually being commented on and that really started with King I think because there was there was quite a few think pieces on that song and that was I really appreciated that and it did seem like that kind of bled into some of the reviews and I think that's also like culturally people had kind of caught up to some female songwriters a bit but I also remember, and this was really specific during how big of the shows where she was wearing pantsuits, it was always she was so powerful, she was such a rock star, it was so amazing. And then the reviews were for the shows that she was wearing dresses, it was like she was fairy-like, she was mm-hmm. waif-like, she was, it was, the powerful was gone. It was so much more about how angelic and fairy like she looked and there was still some bits about her like control of the audience but it was much more in a surprising way I don't know is that something that you came across in all of your readings about her work like when you were reading about dance fever and like was there anything that frustrated you about how people perceived it or like that really I don't know so not so much with dance fever because I do think that it was received in the way like that she had intended it to be But looking at some of the earlier reviews, because I was trying to like sort of prove my point, right, about how people had reviewed her in the past and the amount of times people called her a banshee made me want to like fly myself into the sun. Like it was ridiculous. But yeah, yeah, it was incredibly irritating to me, just like the amount of words used to just call her loud over and over and over again as if that was something she should atone for. What is your favorite song from Dance Fever? I'm going to say Girls Against God and Heaven is here. I do feel like that opening stanza of Girls Against God, I was really shocked by because it was definitely something that I had felt but didn't realize that anybody else felt. Yeah, right. And like, yeah, especially as women, we're not supposed to say that. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, like, Heaven is here just really nerdily. I loved the idea of it being like a circle that's cast, um, mm-hmm. especially like a circle that's cast at the beginning of the show to like hold all of this monstrosity and all of these emotions and all of these like things. I just thought that was incredible. And I guess you were also telling me at some point that you were thinking about doing like a master's. Yeah. So thinking about how horror works in Florence's music and then also thinking about it in Jenny Val and Fever Ray. And yeah, that's probably down the road. Yeah. That would be amazing though. I know. Is Do you have any upcoming projects that you are excited about related to this or anything that you are excited about on like a future album or like themes you would like her to explore more in terms of future projects I'm still working on this one I'm still trying to go through all of the films because I have not done that every time I like submit to a conference I'm like I'm gonna get to all of them and I get to like one I would love her to stay in this territory for like one more album like I don't expect her to but that would be incredible if she did well, I guess I will see you in a couple weeks. Yeah. Chicago. I'm really excited about that. And I'm also excited to see you at Gatsby. And it'll be really interesting to see or to hear music written by Florence, not sung by Florence. And I guess this leads us into talking about Gatsby, if that works. Since we last recorded the podcast, we have an official name. At one point, it was The Great Gatsby, colon, a new musical. And now it is Gatsby, an American myth. I don't know. I kind of like this title more. I think it gets to the heart of what Martina has been talking about related to this musical is this American dream aspect and how it is an American myth 
I think because if you look at Martina's oeuvre otherwise other than this so much of it is about like immigrant stories and the American dream yeah so it's exciting it's premiering in Boston at the ART it's not to be confused with the other Gatsby which is now I think called The Great Gatsby a new musical that starts on Broadway in a couple weeks end of March I think and that one if you look at the lyrics and you look into it, it seems like they're very much playing it as a love story, not at all getting into the kind of American dream aspect of it, which I think is really crazy. Like you you do miss the entire point of the book, in my opinion. I don't know. I don't want to wish them ill, but I hope it doesn't hurt the chances of Florence's musical being successful. And I'm really excited for hers because everybody involved in it is amazing. I'm so excited for the cast. I'm so excited to hear more about who's involved in it and see more teasers. I think the breathy teaser was really interesting. It's very Florence. I was really excited to hear that Sandy Powell was the costume designer because she is one of the most acclaimed costume designers. Interestingly, she's also talked in that same interview where she said that she was doing this one. She also talked about how or she, she only does period pieces. And so that kind of gives us some impression as to what the look of Gatsby is going to be. It's amazing that she got that Florence got her to do the costumes. It's apparently been like 10 years since she's done anything for the stage. So she must have been particularly intrigued. So yeah, it's, it's shaping up to be amazing. I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see it with you, Heather. Are you excited for Gatsby, Heather? Yes, I'm so excited. That was another thing where I was like, am I going to get to go? Am I not going to get to go? Um, and now that oh I know. Oh my God, I'm I know. I'm so glad that you are able to go. I know. I'm so excited. So it'll be so nice to see it with like a whole group and yeah. It's going to be chaotic and it's too bad that Everett and Emily can't be there, but I think it's going to be pretty fun. I think we're going to have a lot of chaos. It'll be good. We are actively trying to plan some sort of after parties, but Boston is expensive. So we might just end up crashing a gay bar. That works. Uh, again, thank you so much for coming on, Heather. It was such a joy talking to you and yeah, having you on. It was great to hear from you. Thank you for having me on. It was really fun. It's nice meeting you. Nice meeting you. <laughs> so I'm sure we will be back in April at the latest to discuss Florida with three exclamation marks. Florida, <laughs> chick, 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 like that band. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks for joining. Thank you again, Heather. And yeah, see you guys in April. <laughs>